Yeah, I was a little angry because in my mind, when I met Jacques, he was going to get out of the Navy, and which was like okay for me because I was like, I'm not, I don't love being a military brat. I don't want to be a military wife. I just, not that I wasn't proud of my dad. I just have never been one that was great at goodbyes. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have another awesome show for you. The story of SEAL Team 10 was widely publicized through the book and the movie starring Mark Wahlberg called Lone Survivor. Because of that, many of us know about the extraordinary courage and tragic deaths of the men who are on that Afghanistan mountain with Marcus Luttrell. We also know that a Chinook helicopter with a a force consisting of Navy SEALs and the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment called the Night Stalkers was shot down during a rescue attempt, killing all 16 men on board. What is lesser known is the story of the men on that Chinook, or the ones who were left to grieve for the husbands, fathers, sons, brothers, and friends. In this episode of American Snippets, Charissa Fontan Westfall, author of Beautiful Tragedy and widow of Chief Petty Officer Jacques Fontan, shares her story of love, loss, and triumph she's experienced since the death of her husband and the new life that has come into her life. So without further ado, here is Charissa Fontan Westfall and Barbara Allen. You are listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Shar, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I know it's it's like always a weird thing to say, oh, I'm so glad to know you or so glad to connect with you this way, you know, but it's like a weird community to be a gold star wife. Um, so let's start actually right there for those of you. Most of our audience knows because I'm always talking about it, what a gold star wife is. But in the event, there is somebody listening who has not heard me, you know, talking about my story and what they are. Please go ahead and, and explain what a gold star wife is. Oh, yeah. I would have to say that I probably didn't really know and understand it until it happened to me. Um, nothing. I I mean, I was a Navy brat growing up and there was never talk of that, you know, in my house. My dad, you know, 20 years Navy and I, I don't think we ever experienced that um, the whole time that my dad was in the service. I mean, not anybody close to us anyway. So um, unfortunately, uh, you gain the title of Gold Star Wife or Gold Star Family um, if your uh, family member spouse um, is killed while serving the country while, you know, active duty military. So um, yeah, that's me. I became a, a Gold Star widow at the age of 29. And uh, it was a, uh, I'd say, definitely turned my world upside down and nothing I would ever uh, thought was going to happen to me for sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's really young. I was 32 and I thought I was young. Um, but here you are 29. And you know, I'm sure you have as well. I've met other widows who were like 21 or their fiancés didn't even get to get married. And I mean, the stories go on and on and on and on. How long yeah. had how long had you been married at that point? We had been together for 10 um, and married for almost five of that. Nice. Um, so, I mean, 
at least, right? There's that quote, at least you had that time, right? But I don't know about you, but I remember feeling when that happened to me, I remember like going through this period where I wish I had just never loved at all. I just thought it was so such a cruel trick to play. Like, why would you, why would you allow me to love like this if you were just going to do this? Or like, I was so angry at it. Did you experience any of that? I did. um, Especially probably at the end of that first year is when like my anger towards like God and Jacques like really came to a head. I didn't even realize I was angry at Jacques until my pastor slash counselor was like, aren't you though? I mean, and you can experience this because I mean, as much as they want and and make you feel like you're their number one, if you are a military um, member or a first responder, ultimately when they go to work, like their job is the priority and the number one. And so yeah, I was a little angry because in my mind, when I met Jacques, he was going to get out of the Navy, and which was like, okay for me. Because I was like, I'm not, I don't love being a military brat. I don't want to be a military wife. I just, not that I wasn't proud of my dad. I just have never been one that was great at goodbyes. So um, yeah, I uh, was not uh, not looking forward to uh, to the whole military life. And then here I was a military wife decided to support him and then lose him. So yeah, it was not, not, not a happy time for me for sure. Yeah. I I can only, well, I can say, I can only imagine, like I get it. Right. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, so let's, um, let's get through the, the, you know, the hardest part of this. Let's talk about that day in June, 2005, you were like, how did you, how did you find out what had happened? When was the last time you spoke with him? Uh, well, so I was one of the lucky ones because I was getting to talk to him pretty frequently. I was in the process of selling our condo and buying a house. And so because I was doing it all without him, he could, you know, call back. He had a reason, you know, okay, this is there. Go go get this power of attorney or, Hey, I got to fax you or, you know, this, that sort of thing. I was going up to the, to the command and, and getting things over to him and vice versa. So, um, but I was at a, a meeting on, um, I think it was Monday night and I missed his last phone call. I had, I had my phone right by me and I got to go to the bathroom and I came back and I had a missed call and I was like, Oh, cause I knew, you know, I wouldn't get another one that night. And then I waited the next morning and I never got one. And I was like, well, this is really weird. And then that night I was uh, a private tutor for an autistic child and had been. And so that was a night that I chose to take him out in the community, him and his brother, we'd go grocery shopping, we'd go to dinner. And I remember uh, my eye caught the TV at the pizza place and they were talking about a helicopter that had been shot down. And I remember just like right then being like, oh my gosh, I just feel horrible for those families. Like I, I can't imagine. And then just when I, you know, went about my, my night. And as I was driving the boys home, I got a call from one of the, um, the command master chief's wife, I believe it was. And she said, Hey, I know you missed you at work tonight. You missed the the girls dinner, but I wanted you to hear from me. There's a chance, you know, there's something happened with our guys. Like we know something happened. We just don't know who it's with or, you know, what exactly. And it just immediately, I was like, thought back to that helicopter. And I was like, that cannot be it. Can it? I just can't, I can't. And I just had this pit in my stomach and, um, so the next day we get the call that it definitely was SEAL Team 10. They still didn't know who and what exactly the outcome was. 
And so I was hosting our weekly dinners like I would do for a lot of our friends. It started out as just us girls. And as the guys kind of started to disperse into different teens and sometimes they'd be home, sometimes they'd weren't, they weren't. I was like, well, just whenever your guy is home, bring him because we get so little time with them. As you know, you know, they always off in the deployments. And so uh, as we were waiting to just find out anything, a friend of mine, her husband took me down to the garage. We were looking for some charcoal to start the grill and we heard the some car doors shut and to turn around and see, you know, the three people in uniform and I'll just never forget him like yelling at me. Cause I, I guess I started walking towards them and he just grabbed me and he's like, get upstairs. We're not doing this out here in the parking lot. So that's how it all began. Wow. Um, I have to tell you, I also missed my husband's last call. So uh. I carry that like, and I have told people before I have my phone right here with me and like, I don't know how you have processed that, but I almost always have my phone next to me now because that's my, like, I never want to miss another last call. If there's one thing that has held on to me all these years, it is like, I'm never going to miss anybody else's last call. So, um, I mean, how have you, is that something, is that something that I'm just putting back on you now? Or like, have you been? No, I'm I'm the same. I'd say I'm really needy. Like, um, My husband now, I'm you know, remarried and, and children. and um, But no, I, for the longest time, you know, my, my sister's married to an army colonel. And whenever he's deployed, like I, I'm like, he could be in my, my husband could be in mid-sentence. We could be, and I was like, I have to answer it. Like she might need me. And my first thing is I'm like, is he okay? And she's like, yes. But that's just, yeah, I'm like, when I'm out of town away from my kids, I'm like, my phone never leaves me no matter yep. what kind of meeting or anything I'm in. Cause I was like, I, I can't, like it it's like an anxiety in me that <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain. Yeah. And talk about that. Do you run into people who don't understand and like, you know, Shar, you really should just leave your phone home. We shouldn't be on technology, like leave your phone home. I mean, do you, and, and that would just be an example of things that is hard for anybody who has an experience to, to understand, but we'll go. Right. Yeah, one. I have. I mean, some people are like, you know, and and it, I tell them, I'm like, just because it's near me doesn't necessarily mean like I have to answer it every time. Like, I just want to know who it is, but I'm always right. going to pick up for my husband and I'm always going to pick up for my children, um, my parents and my siblings, because, um, you know, I just, that's just now who I am. And I, if, if, I'm like, if you if you can't handle it, sorry, like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm glad you don't understand it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can. Um completely relate to that. And I know we're bouncing around here, but that's okay. Cause we're going to tie it all together. Um, <laughs> so at some point, like you said, you are remarried now, which is amazing and congratulations. And I know the courage that, that it takes to set yourself up for that again. Right. And the, yes. the new way that you look at it. Um, how did you meet your husband now? So our parents were, went to the same church and ended up in the same Bible study. And my parents had known him for a while and his parents had met me and uh, Jacques a couple times. Um, I think the most recent time had been at my sister's wedding. She had gotten married in March of 2005. And, uh, but I had never met their, their youngest son, Drew. Heard about him like, oh, he's a great guy. And um, I mean, he was dating somebody and I was married. So it's not like, yeah, our parents were ever thinking anything right. of it. Um, but I happened to have come home like a month before Jacques was killed to help my parents. They had gone over to see my sister in Europe and I came home to help with watch our dog. And I finally meet Drew and I was like, Oh, nice to meet you. And 
know, he's like six years younger than me. And he's like, Oh, it's nice to meet you. And Hey, can I get your advice? Like I have four older brothers and you know, I'm kind of going through something with my girlfriend and it'd be nice to have like a, a, a sister advice type thing or a girlfriend. And I was like, sure. Um, so he's kind of met and chatted that way. And, um, you know, we're just friends. And then I, uh, after I lost Jacques, I moved home, um, that I didn't want to buy that house I was buying and I was homeless. And so I came back to Florida and he was kind of my, uh, not kind of, he was my person that I would go to. Um, my parents, you know, if I called them crying, they would cry. If I called my sister crying, she would cry. Call my friends, they'd cry. I was like, Oh, this is just a, (laughs) (laughs) I I can only be the one that's crying. Can no, I stop crying? Yeah, I'm like, I need you to make me stop crying, not cry yeah. with me. But, yeah. but then I'm like that same person. People call me and I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he was, you know, I could call him at work and say, make me laugh. And he would. And so we started as friends and it just eventually developed into, you know, more than that. And, uh, he stuck around and decided you know, he wanted to marry me, the hot mess of a person I was. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are 12 years later. I'm sure his girlfriend loved being eased out that way, but yeah, well, thankfully, <laughs> that's yes, another thank, story. Yeah, thank, yeah. No, I know she does not like me, unfortunately. Um, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, I think I talk about it in the book. I encouraged him to break up with her. I didn't even know her and it was nothing bad. Like he, he had nothing bad to say about her. I was like, it just doesn't sound like, you know, forever. And if that's not it, like you owe it to her and to yourself, you know, you guys need to move on if you're not going to marry her. And I, I always kind of thought I was looking out for her, you know, like let her go yeah. and let her find somebody already. Um, yeah. So she, uh, she does not like me. I was bad to laugh about but not really I mean again I'm like lining up all these other conversations we could have one day in another time in another place um so I mean that's good though that he understands the story and when it and three years out three years sounds like a long time but three years into adjusting you're still carrying so much of the, you never, you never stop carrying the grief, which is something people don't understand as well. But three years is really not a long time. Um, And so, I mean, good on both of you for, for rolling into that in a, in a healthy way and and making it work. And now you have three beautiful children. Yes. Yeah. We did a lot of talking. I, that's why I tell people like we, um, when we started dating, we were both kind of like, what should we even be dating? Is it too soon? I mean, are people going to judge me and think that I didn't really love Jacques because, you know, you know, I'm dating, you know, a year and a half out, year, half out, you know, type of thing. And, um, there was people who judged me. There was, everybody has an opinion. And so it's scary. And I remember having to go back to counseling as the wedding got closer because I just had so much, um, guilt um, for, for loving somebody again. And, but I, the way I describe it is, you know, if you have children, you kind of understand this, you have your first kid and then you get pregnant with your second and you're like, how in the heck am I going to love the second one as much as I love the first one. And I think when you lose somebody like you and I have, 
you don't know how you could ever love somebody again. Like, cause that was like your person and the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But, um, your heart, when you find that right person, your heart, you know, opens up for them. It doesn't push the other person aside. It's like a whole different compartment I have for Drew versus Jacques and I, they don't compete. Yep. So. I, that's literally exactly <laughs> the same way that I have described it as well. So I get it, but I'm glad to hear that as well, because, you know, I'm sure you've looked at other people um, and not been able to understand their situations and had opinions on them. So do you find that going through what you've gone through has given you, ha- has changed the way that you view other people or if people come to you with their situations, do you, or, you know, in terms of more or less opinionated or just, are you able to, to change that perspective or do you, have you just not thought about that at all? Well, I've never been one to, to judge people. Like I've always been like, just do you, but I think I'm even more so now. And I get more angered by the people who do feel they have such um, an opinion about how other people run their lives. I mean, if you haven't walked in that person's shoes, I don't really think that you can have judgment or have an opinion, you know, especially if they don't ask for it. So I think I'm even more so pro, like, do you, if you are healthy, if you're making healthy decisions, you know, that's what it's about. And you need to do what's best for you, your family. And, um, that's just kind of how I, I live and the advice I give. So, um, when your husband was killed along with there, there were like 18 others on that chopper, right? Were those men's, were their wives, your friends, were they part of that group? Like, did you all kind of, were there women there whose husbands were also killed in that crash when the detail came to your house? No, um, we were friends. We were, you know, newly in like the last year, my core group of friends were from the, the team or the platoon before. Um, but I still knew them. I didn't know everybody cause there was, so three on the mountain. So 19 total, three of the guys, those guys were on the mountain and I didn't know them because they were from, um, Hawaii and California. Well, actually one was from here, but I had not or from Virginia beach, but I had never met his wife. Um, and then all the army, you know, they were not in Virginia beach. So we didn't know any of them, but, um, so none of them were with me. They were all just friends from previous platoons and deployments. So how was that to go through um, in terms of, I don't know how long it took you all to get the information. I know that, I mean, I had like a, a exceptionally bizarre situation in my world. So it was a completely different experience getting getting the information. But for a lot of us, there's that need to know as much as you can know. You want to like find out everything happened and in your grasp to just make some sense of it all. You want these details or some people don't, but most of the people I know want the details. Um, how was that for you to, were you able to, to hear what happened? Did it take a long time or because it was so out there on the news, were you getting your information from the news? Was there any confusion? Like how did that all unravel for you? Well, the, the first day when they showed up because they hadn't located the helicopter, they were, I, we were all told that they were missing in action. Um, but I mean, obviously we knew and I, and I looked at my friend, um, cause Jacques had asked one specific friend to make sure that he was the one that told me, um, cause he knew Jacques and he knew me and he's like, please don't let a stranger go and talk to Char. So he was there. And so when he told me they were missing in action, I said, so there's a chance. And he just looked at me and I was like, 
Okay. So then you know, they had to come back the next day. Um, I wasn't watching the news. Um, we had two really close guy friends, two of my friend's husbands that would go into work and find out what they could and come back and tell me. Um, but I still don't remember a lot of it. And still kind of, you know, I get pieces of it. Even now, 15 years later, uh, someone will tell me a story. And I was like, oh, and they're like, sure, we've, we've told you that. And I was like, I don't remember. I mean, when the guys, the West, the rest of the platoon, so half the platoon was killed that day. The other half was on the other helicopter. And so when they got home from deployment in October, they, I made sure I was back in Virginia beach and they brought me into the, the platoon hut and was like, okay, so here's everything. I literally don't remember anything they told me. Like I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember anything. So yeah, I still try to get some bits and pieces. I remember when the pictures came back um, with, um, you know, the autopsy report and everything. And I said, I told my dad, I was like, I want to see the pictures. And he called, I think the Admiral. And the Admiral was like, so I've seen all the pictures and Jacques is like one of the most recognizable. He's like, but she does not want to see him. Like I really strongly advise you to advise her like not to look at it. And I was like, but I just want to know, like, I want to know as much as I can. And so I did decide against it, um, at their, their recommendations. That's the one thing that I never, I never did. I've seen pictures of the crash, um, site, since then, just in like recently, the last couple of years, I've seen those, but, um, yeah, I still, I still try to seek out information for sure. Yeah. And is that hard for people to understand as well? Do you run into people like, why don't you just let it go? Like, why are you yeah. doing this to yourself? Do you get yeah. any of that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, especially people who aren't in the military, they're like, why would you even want to know all that? I'm like, I just, I think, um, and I'm sure you could relate and so many others can, but I mean, I'll, and I'll never probably know the truth, but it's like, did he see that RPG coming at him? Like, did he know, like, I would have nightmares like of him to see it coming and being like, oh my gosh, you know, Char, you know, Jordan, his daughter, like I could just imagine him like thinking that in his head. And so, um, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like the more I get, then maybe that nightmare will go away. I don't yeah. know. I get <laughs> it. I do. I do get all of that. And I think it is something um, very familiar to not just military spouses, but really anybody who has lost somebody, especially under, you know, tragic circumstances, an accident, a, a homicide or whatever it is, and you're not there with them. Like, you know, right. everybody, I think that's the thing a lot of people can connect to and relate to and everybody deals with it in different ways. You know, some people, need that information. Others just black it out and they don't want to go forward or into it more. Your husband drew now, he is not in the military. No, he's not. He, um, took over his dad's business, him and two of his other brothers work. They have a structural, a structural steel fabricating business and had no connections to the military at all until he gets, you know, thrust into <laughs> my crazy life. Um, but he's yeah, extremely patriotic very supportive. And so that helps a lot. Yeah. Is that a relief for you to like, to not be married to somebody in the military or, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining you wouldn't have discriminated if somebody was, but yeah. is it, is it like, 
you know, is there, I mean, do you miss the, do you miss the life at all? Or are you just like, thank God, I don't want to ever do that again. Uh, You know what I miss? I miss, and I have great friends. And so to any of them who hear this, it's not, it's nothing against, you know, friends in the civilian world. Um, But as you know, in the military life, like the friends you make there, they're like your core support and you're all going through it. And there's just a different bond that is created within that community. And um, it's a little different in the outside world. So that is, I guess, more what I miss and still crave, you know, just like everyone being in that same boat and, you know, the guy's gone. You know, not that I want my husband gone. Like that was the, obviously the part I missed or I hated the most. Um, but no, I had friends, one friend in particular who I no longer have a relationship, unfortunately, but she just couldn't understand why I wouldn't look for another military or another SEAL and um, why I would, you know, pick somebody, I guess, in her mind, kind of like normal or wasn't, you know, another Jacques type of thing. But I never married Jacques because he was a SEAL. So I like that wasn't what I was looking for. I just was looking for somebody that you, you know, you can be happy with your best friend that you love. And so yeah. he's military. Thankfully he's not, I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to deal with the deployments, but yeah. One time around yeah. is enough. How did you meet Jacques in the first place? I was home on summer break from college and he at the time was a rescue swimmer instructor at Jacksonville Navy base, just up the road from me now. And, uh, I would lifeguard there during the summer. And so our paths just crossed that way. Organically. Yes. That way. Yes. yes. My dad was like, really? Have you, what you said? I was like, no, he's getting out of the Navy. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what they all say. Yeah. So look, it has been many years. Your husband was killed just a few weeks after mine. So um, we're sort of on, pretty much on the same timeline there. And I remember hearing about this incident, um, but I was in my own messed up kind of world right then. And so I couldn't grasp, but I do remember seeing the news of that happen. And I remember it hit me like right in my gut because I knew that 19 doorbells were ringing like that day, you know, and it, it, that was the first incident that happened that came across my radar in the time between my husband dying and then. And so that was the first time I saw something like that and understood implicitly what was happening in 19 families across the country right then. And my heart just broke for all of you without ever knowing any of you. I was just thinking like 19 families. And then I, I was like almost mad. Like, why is everyone going about your day? Don't you know 19 families are just like decimate, you know, and it took a long time for me to work that out of my system um, and be able to like get a grip on my own, like, you know, rage and projection onto people. Um, but I do remember that day. And I do remember thinking, like sitting down and saying a prayer for you all that day. And so for me now to have an opportunity to speak with one of you all those these years later, seems like a little surreal for me, because I, I can remember the, the day, the moment seeing that and I can remember how I felt. I remember looking and never imagining that I would be speaking to one of you um, all these years. I'm so glad to see that you've come out of it so beautifully. Um, and I know that you have come out of it beautifully, not that it's easy or that it doesn't require due diligence and maintenance and hard work and effort and prayer and all of that. But you're now a mentor for a nonprofit. Um, you're mentoring other uh, military military widows, yes? Uh, yeah. I mean, 
more so in the beginning. Now I'm just kind of like there with them. Um, cause a lot of organizations weren't around back 15 years ago. So it was more like friends and family would call and ask me, you know, Hey, can you talk to somebody? You know, they've just lost their spouse. And, um, so Drew always like, you know, he would say, he's like, you like mentor all these people, you know, and that's where he's like, maybe you should just write a book and kind of put it down and maybe it would reach more people that way. Um, and now, you know, especially with the seal foundation, how they bring us together one to two times a year for like wellness retreats. It's then that, um, I think a lot of the newer widows seek out some of us older, more seasoned ones. Um, just because we've, you know, 15 years out versus their one year or six months. And, you know, they're always kind of looking for answers, the same ones we were looking for, but didn't have the, you know, the support back then. And you're looking for hope too. You're looking for hope because you, you just cannot believe that there is ever a day where every breath is not painful. Like you just, it's very hard to envision a life where like, Oh my God, did you just laugh and mean it? Like, how, how is that even possible? You know? So I think for, you know, the work that you're, we're even doing then to reach back and help those women I know was probably monumentally helpful. But like you just said, your husband is one that encouraged you Mm -hmm. to write this book. And I really want to get into that. Let's talk about this book uh, that you have out now, or that is about to be launched as we speak. Yeah. Well, yeah, it actually finally got launched. Uh, what day is today? (laughs) The Last week, the 25th. It's finally, yes. Um, so yes, that's excited. He, was, you know, like you should share it. And I had a friend, um, that I was working with at the time and she said the same thing. And so between the two of them, they just kept pushing pressure, putting pressure on me. And, um, and I never, ever set out to write a book. I mean, in my mind, like that was never something I ever thought about as a child or as a teenager, or even right after I lost shock. Um, you know, you're always kind of taught to be, quiet, you know, especially in the special ops community, you know, we just kind of, we kept it all within, within house and, you know, it is what it is. But, um, I just kind of started getting the feeling that if I don't use this in some sort of good way, then what was the point in going through it? And so if I could provide some sort of hope or guidance, you know, to people who are going through it, um, then that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I can do that without exploiting the SEAL teams or, you know, Jacques family or our family. It's just an honest, simple story of how we met the loss, the anger, my struggle with my faith, and then still how, you know, came out the other side with the, the new amazing husband and family. That is great. Are you still in touch with Jacques family? I am. And I'm one of the lucky ones. There's not, uh, I don't hear too many people who still have good relationships with their in-laws, um, which is sad for me. I think, especially those with children. Um, that was my, my worry. Cause, and, and not that I even had any experience with, you know, hearing about how other people didn't have a relationship anymore. Um, but I just, I remember looking at my sister-in-law and saying, y'all aren't going to like get rid of me. Are you? And they were like, no, what are you talking about? You know, we're not going to lose you. And you have nieces and nephews. I mean, what? And so, um, one of my sister-in-laws actually, I'm a godchild or godparent to, um, one of their children and kept me that they've been here, come visit every year. Uh, they were in Drew and I's wedding. We have a nephew getting married on that side in two weeks that we're going to, 
And uh, Drew just recently had a birthday in July. And I made a post. He's not on social media, but I made a post about him. And Jacques' dad was like, happy birthday, son. You know, we love you. And oh, I'm like, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Hence the name, Beautiful Tragedy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So um, let's get into that. And, you know, before this clock winds down or a Wi-Fi ends this for us, um, <laughs> let's get let's get into this book and talk about some of the key concepts and how you came up with the, the title and how long did it take you to write this from the day you this sat is, down and started writing? It's been a work in progress. Uh, my friend Myra, she said, yes, I think you should do this as well. And I'll interview your family for you so that you don't have to do the hard part. And then we'll come together and and, you know see what you have. And so I went from there and that probably started in like 2011. And I think I got my final note from publishers in like 2015. Uh, they just kept, you know, the pushback was, well, we want a seal story. You know, can you more information about the seals and more information about his mission? And for me, I was like, I'm not a seal. It's not going to be a seal story. Right. He's a seal. And, um, but that's not what it's about. And so uh, in 2015, I said, you know what? Not meant to be. It was gave me, you know, another level of therapy writing it. And um, so I'll just put it on the shelf and it is what it is, you know. And um, then the beginning of this year, Andy from Ballast Books reached out to me and said, you know, I've heard about you. I heard you have a story to share that you've written something. Would you mind sending it to me? You know, I think that um, from the sound of it, it would be something that should be published. And I think it was literally the next day that he wrote me back and said, yeah, I really think you should publish this. And uh, so here we are, how many months later, it's been you know, printed and out there. That's great. And what is the response you're getting? So far, really positive. Um, I was worried that, you know, there'd be criticism, which there probably still will be. I mean, that's just life in general. Yeah, brace for it in five, four, three, two, yeah. it's coming. Like it's just, you know, it's coming. You could write a book right. on puppies and you would have criticism, right? So right. you're like, yeah, it's coming. Um, yeah. yeah. I've been getting, it's, yeah, yeah. But so far, thankfully it's been positive. You know, people are like, sure. I, even though I know you, I didn't know all of that. And you made me laugh and you made me cry. And, um, I just got something from uh, an aunt, like a family friend that I've always referred to as an aunt. And she said, I wasn't ready for it to end. So I need you to start working on a book number two. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't know what that was <laughs> never my goal. So, um, but thankfully so far it's been positive. Excellent. And what are you doing now? In addition to the book, is the book your primary focus on top of, you know, three children, which take a little <laughs> bit of time to, to tend to, Right. But is, so is your focus, your children and the book, do you have other things going on that you're working on as well? Or are you able to just go all in on those, on your family and your book? Uh, no, I seem to like make myself run in about a million different directions. So obviously my husband and my children are my number one, you know, after God and our, you know, our faith and everything. But then the book, we're also um, still trying to get our foundation up and running, you know, 501c3 status can be a little, you know, difficult to navigate, especially this last year with COVID has put that, um, you know, kind of dragging, dragging behind and getting that, uh, all set up. Um, there's some, what is the nonprofit? What is the nonprofit you're setting up? So we, um, we named it for honor F O R E like golf. Cause it's a, um, the only thing we're doing with it is we're hosting a yearly golf tournament. Um, we've done two already 
And our goal is to raise money for local militaries, um, foundations that are already, you know, doing the, it the right way. We don't want to reinvent right. the wheel. We just want to help right. them. And by becoming a 501c3, um, easier to get corporate donations, that sort of thing. So um, that's the goal in that. Um, so working with, with them for that. And um, you have some speaking engagements um, on the horizon and opportunities with that. So I don't know, I guess I'm just kind of fine by the seat of my pants right now, waiting to see where God takes me next. <laughs> Surrender to the experience is how I put that. Like you're just, you know, Jesus, take the wheel and let's go. Like, right. Like you have to, which yeah. I think the, I'm imagining you're going to get this. Cause I've said before, and people kind of look at me weird. I'm like, in a way there's something liberating about going through a tragedy or a trauma to the extent of this. Cause we had like trauma on top of the tragedy for years. Right. And like when I came out the other side and really it was just in the past few years that I was able to say this, I almost felt like liberated. And I don't know if you feel the same way or understand what I'm saying, but do you feel like things that once upon a time would have worried you or stressed you, or you would have needed to know and needed to have figured out, like you're just, you know, it doesn't get to you the way that it used to. Do you, do you relate to that at all? Like, do you? Yes. A little bit. I mean, there's, yeah, there's still some things I stress about and try to control because that's just me. And then, you know, Drew <laughs> reminds me like, Shar, we're not in control. I don't know if you, how you forget that <laughs> with everything you've been through. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely am just like when the book, the first time when the book didn't happen, it, I couldn't understand it. So I was like, I feel like I'm trying to help people. I don't understand God. Like I thought I was trying to glorify you and, you know, everything that you did in my life. And um, so I didn't get it. And now I'm just kind of like, you gave it back to me and you showed me it was on your time. And so just trying to fully trust and other things come from it. Great. If not, if I've helped people, that was my sole goal and sharing my story. And so, you know, it will be what it is. Great. Um, and I mean, there's no avoiding the turmoil and insanity sweeping through this country at the moment. Um, and I, I, I imagine you're homeschooling your kids now as well. We're not, they went you're back. Not. They went ah, back. You're the this, lucky. Fifth, yep. The fifth day we started on Monday. So they have been, <laughs> all right, we're going to end this really quick. So you can go have the <laughs> bubble bath here. Like I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, yes, thank you, especially for taking the time. First time in six months that you're, uh, you know, you have some alone time. Yep. I know this. Um, and my husband left to go out of town. And so he's like, what have you been doing? I was like, I don't know. I'm the busiest I've ever, I think, you know, just finally like, Oh, I gotta yes. go to this store. Cause I don't have them. I'm, I'm going to go to this store. I'm going to run this errand. Cause you're not like worried about the kids and dragging them around and whatever. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great. That's great. So what is your thoughts on, on the current environment in this country and having both, you know, the military background, living that lifestyle and now being outside of that community, but still it's a part of who you are. Um, you know, what are your thoughts for how to proceed to this? What would be your advice to somebody? Because I know there are a lot of lessons to be pulled from going through what you've gone through and how to deal with, you know, when the floor drops off from under you and an abrupt change, people have lost their jobs, maybe losing their houses. They may just be, overwhelmed in hopelessness and fear and anger and despair, which are all feelings that you have navigated. So would you have any words of advice 
to to offer to people who aren't maybe necessarily going through grief but are experiencing all of those overwhelming feelings right now? Um, so personally for me, I think if you have faith, that's where you need to um to concentrate, you know, your your focus on just putting your faith in God. I know that that's hard right now. I mean, like you said, people have lost their jobs, people, you know, the riots and the looting and, you know, everything going on, people still, you know, afraid of the virus. And um, there's a lot that people are having to navigate. I'm worried for the people who are already dealing with depression and mental illness, um, abuse. I think that it's bigger than just the virus. And um, so we, our family prays for everybody every day. I mean, no matter what you're going through, I think um, you know, your feelings are justified. And uh, whether you're scared or you're angry, um, but for me, I've just been relying a lot on my on my faith to bring us through it, and hoping that you know other people do that as well. I don't know. There's not a lot of real answers out there. Like I feel like we're just so torn. You either you're either on this side or you're on this side. Whether it's like the pandemic or, you know, the political things. I mean, I, I, it saddens me that there's no middle ground. Like if you want to be in the middle, you know, that's, that's not okay either. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not allowed to lose, lose, lose situation. I think both sides are, I mean, I don't, whatever side you're on, like it's a lose, lose. Yeah. In some ways, that is true. That's one reason that we are determined to continue bringing stories forward and charging forward and doing our part. We've broken into, you know, the American snippets and then we have our syndicate, which is a little more outspoken in other areas. But in terms of these stories and why we reach out to people like you, Shar, is because you're a perfect example that, you know, your outcome is based on you and how you are going. There are so many things that we can't control about our environment and what comes down the pike and what lands in our lap and what does or does not happen or goes wrong, but we can control how we respond to it. And that's why I'm so happy to bring your story to our community because you figured that out and you have forged your path through all of that and you have turned your tragedy into a beautiful story. And now you're sharing it with the book. I would encourage everybody listening to go find Shar. Shar, where can they find you and your book and grab themselves a copy? Um, you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Uh, Target, Amazon, the publisher, ballastbooks.com has it. Um, I'm all over social media. So you can find me Facebook, Instagram. I'm still trying to figure out Twitter. Not very good at that. I don't <laughs> quite I grasp Twitter. that. I know. <laughs> I know. Need some lessons in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, I think just Google Shar Westfall and you can find me or beautiful tragedy and it'll lead you somewhere to me. <laughs> what is one thing that you hope people, when they finish your book and they close it up, what is one thing you hope they walk away with? That's hard. I might have a couple. Um, I, I hope for the people who are going through the grief that they can realize that a lot of their feelings, even though everyone's grief path is different, um, that we do share a lot of commonalities and similarities in what we go through. And so I hope that they can feel like they're not alone. Um, and like you said, you have a choice to keep living. And I feel like the best way to honor Jacques and what we had in our love was to keep living and be the person that, you know, he, he knew me to be. Um, but I also hope that people on the outside, uh, friends and family kind of get a little insight into what it's like for those of us going down that path. And it's not, it might not be easier for them to be our friend, 
but it's not easy for us to always articulate exactly what we're going through that day and that we're trying and we want them there, but it might not seem like it. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very true. Okay. One of the reasons we started American Snippets years ago, um, I do this with a man who's now my fiance. So I'm like in that next chapter myself, but even just three years ago when we started really right about the, the election season and the election time is when the, the true wave of divisiveness started to hit this country. And for me, that started to impact me personally, deeply thinking like, this is not the country my husband died for. Like what, like my country died for a beautiful, my husband died for a beautiful country and we are still great people. Why are you all believing that we're not great people? Right. Which is why we we prove that premise every week by, by connecting our community with people like you. But a big part of that is that we got tired of people being told to believe that their, their possibility to achieve any kind of the American dream was dead, that the American dream was an illusion and a myth and, what we are big on emphasizing is that it is indeed alive and well. It just looks different for everybody. And once you break right. it down and you make it unique to you, it's easier for people to understand. So we'd like to ask you, what is your version of that like American life and that American dream that you want to build or you are living for yourself and your family now? Oh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that one before. <laughs> um like you said, I think the American dream is what you make it. I think that, I mean, I came from a poor family. I mean, my dad was Navy, but we weren't, you know, very financially, uh, set up by any means. Um, I think it's a choice, you know, my child, my oldest, I often say, are you going to take over daddy's business? Um, because it's a great family business and it's providing us a really comfortable lifestyle. Um, and he's like, no, I want to be, you know, a marine biologist. And I was like, okay, well, that might not be as, you know, comfortable for you as, as daddy's business. But, um, I think just like anything else, you have a choice and choice to make it. And if it makes you happy and it's what you want to do and it's fulfilling, um, I think that's the idea of American dream, healthy, happy, children, life, family, whatever it is you want it to be. Um, as long as your heart is full and you're not constantly looking for the next, the next thing to fill your heart, then I think you found it. Excellent. That was awesome. Thank you so much again, (laughs) Shara, for taking the time, especially when you have no kids for the first time in six months. (laughs) I almost feel guilty having you here. So get out of here now. No, but really thank you for taking the time. And again, anybody listening, Go find Char's book, Beautiful Tragedy. I imagine it is going to hold some great value for you all. It is not easy to put yourself out there. So, you know, if you're tempted to say something nasty, think twice, man. Think twice. <laughs> We're watching you. Um, <laughs> Char, best of luck to, to you. And please stay in touch and let us know how things evolve for you. Okay, great. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me today. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you got any value out of today's episode, you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I'd like to personally thank Charissa Fontaine Westfall for being here as well and sharing that incredible story. Please support her any way that you can by picking up her book, A Beautiful Tragedy. Leave her a review. And don't forget, each and every week, we do a full article on every uh, every one of our guests over at americansnippets.com. So head on over there, check out the article, re-listen to the podcast, watch the video interview, and you'll find some links there as well that you can use to follow 
Charissa on social, as well as a link to pick up her book as well. Uh, again, we appreciate you being here today. Please share this podcast with a friend, uh, share it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at American Snippets. Don't forget, we have our Great American Syndicate. This is our community of patriotic like-minded individuals. We're all about self, family, community, and country. Right now, we're giving away a free t-shirt just for taking a look. So go over to greatamericansyndicate.com, pick up your free t-shirt. All you have to do is pay shipping and handling. We'll get one out to you right away. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Make sure you tune in next week for our next podcast interview, our next guest. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.